All right, Shalom. I wanted to do a uh, just a mixed bag. So this is the mixed bag go. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of sources to catch up on from when uh, I left off with the podcast series. So uh, after Vayetze, after the whole craziness with, you know, Rivka being three years old and, you know, the betrayal of um, Yaakov to Yitzhak when he dressed up as Asaph to receive the firstborn blessing and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of things that have been going down since then. So to the best of my ability, I will plan to uh, go through this information. And also it is approaching Zot Hanukkah as I am podcasting right now. So I will be doing some Hanukkah drops, some Parsha drops. So this is a mixed bag to say the least. So before we begin... Let us start with our Torah Braka and Haksameach Hanukkah to everybody and Rosh Chodesh Tov uh, as we enter into the month of Tevet. If you don't know what that means, I encourage you to study it because Tevet is a month of Tov to shout out Sir Batman. Yeah, that's right. Sir Batman all the way up in Kansas City holding it down, Lapid. Okay, but uh, yeah, so uh, he was talking about that with the whole Tov that's in the month of Tevet. And also we need to know Tevet is a month that needs so much Tikkun, y'all. It ain't a game. The 10th of Tevet is a fast day. Uh, It's all about when the Torah got translated into Greek. So there's a whole lot there. So it's like it's a bad thing that the Torah got translated into Greek because... You know, it it really changed a lot of the dynamics of verses that only make sense in Hebrew. And also, this is the equivalent of when the Messiah's name was translated into Greek, which is where we get the Yeshu name from and the Jesus name from. So, like, it's all sorts of tikkun that needs to start going down. So, everybody source up, suit up, let's make it happen. Baruch <laughs> Baruch Hashem Adonai, may it be soon in our days that we see the return of Mashiach Yeshua and the final redemption. Amen. All right, so first thing I want to start off with is Yoma, Maseket Yoma, Tractate Yoma 28b. And this is echoing Captain Yisrael, a.k.a. Rabbi Griffin, uh, uh, from the Shabbat Drosh uh, that we just did this past Shabbat. Uh, and it was talking about who fulfilled the Torah before the Torah was given. Because there's this idea of this thing called Noahides. And uh, it's a, basically the children of Noah, the non-Jewish people. And it's funny that they say the children of Noah uh, are non-Jewish people because 
if that's the case, then uh, you're setting yourself up to say that the non-Jewish people should actually be studiers of Torah because that's literally what the sons of Noah did. They studied the Torah. They knew it. So, dot, dot, dot. The the non-Jewish people should kind of know something about the Torah, and it's totally fine for them to study it. That's what Noahide should mean, but apparently it doesn't. But uh, Maseket Yoma 28b over here, about to do this, says, I propose the the previous statement. The Gemara cites that Rav said, Abraham, our patriarch, our forefather, fulfilled the entire Torah before it was given. Say before it was given. Before it was given. Okay, put a little swag to it. Before it was given. You heard me? Okay, anyway, as it is said, because, which is Ekev, Abraham hearkened to my voice and kept my charge, my mitzvot, my statutes, and my Torahs, which is Torot. This is found in Bereshit, Genesis 26.5. Now, I want you to point out that the word because is the word Ekev, which means even the least of the commandments, Abraham did them. And from the least to the greatest is always talked about as Ekev, like from the heel, because Ekev also means heel, which is what Yaakov grabbed a hold of when he grabbed a hold of Esau, which means you grab onto the heel of Esau, you grab onto the heel of the Torah, and you in a sense, complete the whole entire Torah from bottom to the top. Why do I say that? Because in uh, Bereshit, where it talks about that verse, the uh, last letters of that verse spell out the name Yeshua. And in order to spell out Yeshua, it's Yod, Shin, Vav, Ayin. And the Ayin is found in the name of Asav. So in order to complete the name of Yeshua, you have to grab a hold of the heel of Asav. Just so happens that the lowest part of Asav is where Mashiach is sitting, which is called the gates of Rome. That is the heel of Rome. OK, so the the basically the beginning and the entry point into Christianity and Catholicism, all that kind of stuff. That's where Mashiach is. And it's on purpose. But I just want to point out that it says Ekev Abraham, like because Abraham hearkened. So the Torah before it was given was available to all mankind. So that's a say law for the ages, but we're going to keep going. Rav Shimi Barhia said to Rav and say that the verse means that he fulfilled only the seven Noahide mitzvot and not the entire Torah. The Gemara asked, but isn't there also circumcision that Abraham clearly observed, which is not one of the Noahide laws. So if Abraham fulfilled the whole entire Torah before it was given and they say, well, before the Torah was given, there was only the Noahide laws, but yet Abraham was circumcised. 
Abraham went beyond the Noahide laws. Sleek out, because a Noahide does not circumcise. So there's that. Because that's not one of the, the commandments. That's not one of the seven. Anyway, it says Abraham fulfilled more than just those seven. And the Gemara asks, and say that he fulfilled only the seven mitzvot and circumcision. Eight. Okay, so now we're at eight. It says, Rav said to him, if so, why do I need the continuation of the verse? That Abraham kept my mitzvot and my Torah. That is a clear indication that he fulfilled mitzvot beyond the seven Noahide mitzvot and apparently fulfilled the entire Torah. Which, by the way, so that's Yoma 28b. This is the most beautiful picture about why we're supposed to be like Abraham because. It doesn't matter what you're commanded by Hashem. If it's commanded by Hashem, we seek to fulfill it. We seek to guard it. We seek to keep it. We, keep, we seek to be obedient to it. No matter what it is, whether it's wearing zitzit or lighting candles. Okay? And I know lighting candles is uh, rabbinic, but it's actually... Uh, instituted by people who had the authority to make that a commandment. So if you study the Torah portion about the judges and what the Torah has invested them to do, then you would understand why candlelighting is actually a commandment. And yeah, so that's another expanded topic. That is not really where I'm trying to go, but just so you know, that's where that comes from. Because there are actually seven commandments that are rabbinic that have been added to the 613 and not added as in it takes away or changes the word of God, but that they are uh, in the expanded practice, if you will, that one of them, by the way, is celebrating Hanukkah. Another one, by the way, is singing the Hallel, which is the hymns. Okay, the hymn that Yeshua and his disciples sang as they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Hallel, that. And also uh, saying a blessing before you eat. That's a rabbinic mitzvah. So if uh, we're doing stuff like that, then, uh, you know, we're just kind of like, okay, are we really adding to the word of God or are we going beyond? So the picture is, is that no matter what it is, you know, we do that. And once we do that, we do something else because a commandment, a mitzvah leads to a, another mitzvah, another commandment. So just to point that out, that literally is the essence of Abraham to do from the least and all the way up, you know, grab a hold of whatever you can and, and go from there. So this is why if you're brand new to Torah, learning the word of God, living a Jewish life, immersing yourself in the Messiah, that's what you have to understand is that it's a gradual process. You work your way from the heel all the way to the top of the head, you know? So you start with the smallest commandment that is super easy for you to do. And you do that with diligence, with passion, with fervency. And if anybody tells you you're not doing good enough or, hey, why aren't you doing more? You don't necessarily punch them right in the mouth, but uh, 
you can drop kick them and uh yeah that'll work so be nice about it which a drop kick is not really nice but anyway all that to say don't let nobody tell you um hey you little one mitzvah keeper what's wrong with you it's like if you're doing a mitzvah there should be greater rejoicing in Shemayim over that than there is over a person who's doing like 30 or 40 or even however many mitzvot they can do in a day or in an hour. Because if you get a person who has never done mitzvot to do one mitzvah, that right there causes heaven to rejoice. That's literally the meaning of Messiah's words when he says, there's greater rejoicing in Shemaim over one sinner who makes teshuva. Okay. So like just say la. All right. So uh, to to my one mitzvah people, you know, hold it down like a bazillion pounds. All right. So that's the first thing I want to bring up is uh, living like Abraham going beyond. Next thing I want to bring up is a little drop here from um, the Green Book talking about the male and female. So. It says, for in the image of God, he made man. Okay, so the comment on this is from Barakot 61a. says, our pasuk, which is verse, says, Hashem created Ha-Adam, which is the man. It says, a single human being. However, an earlier pasuk, which is verse, had told us he created them male and female. Originally, Hashem was going to create two separate beings, but in the end, he created only one body that had a dual figure, male and female. So this is the beautiful thing that we can see in the two Mashiachs, that it's one body, but it's got a dual nature to it. And it's also the same uh, with man and, and woman. This is why one man and one woman shall come together in Kiddushin, which is holy matrimony, because you bring yourself back to being Ha-Adam, which is the image that we're created in, which is why there's such an attack on the institution of marriage that, no, it's not just man and woman. It's woman and woman. It's man and man. It's man and dog. It's man and his best friend it's a woman and her friend or her best dog friend or whatever animal she chooses or you know whatever you want to do add multiple people to that and you begin to do what's called distorting the image of god and when the image of god is distorted you take light out of the world and you increase darkness so hence why there's all sorts of chaos and darkness in the world because the image of God is being distorted. However, for those of us who are picking up the torch and bringing the light of God into the world, be encouraged and again, hold it down like a bajillion pounds. Make it happen. Just got to bring light into the world. There's so much darkness today that it's absolutely ridiculous, you know? So, uh, Shavuot 39a, this is going to get us into Parsha Vayigash which is the Torah portion of this week per this podcast. Uh, and it's all about when Yehuda, which is Judah, 
approaches Yosef, Joseph to fight for Benjamin, which is Benjamin. So when this encounter happens, because Joseph's like, oh, Benjamin stole my cup. Oh, that boy. He going to jail. You going to jail, boy. You going to jail. Uh, and Yehuda's like, uh, excuse me. No, he's not. And over my dead carcass. <laughs> so uh, respectfully, King, um, I will tear this place up. You included uh, because you ain't taking Benjamin. And it it was this uh, this kind of climax to this whole story of uniting the uh, the Mashiachness of Judah and the Mashiachness of Yosef, which are Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef, because remember the two are one. But since it's a dual nature, you got to unify it. And the way it was unified is through what's called a guarantor, i.e someone who is their brother's keeper, someone who lays their life down for those who he loves. So Yehuda, after offering himself up for Benjamin, actually caused the revelation of Yosef and the reunion and redemption for a whole family. That as they were getting ready to go into exile, they were going to be able to be graciously brought down, as opposed to have to be brought down as prisoners and chains to Egypt, they were brought down with fanfare, wagons and chariots and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of riches. And then they even got the best part of the land. But this is all built on the foundation of the brother who was supposed to be lifted up. But instead of lifting him up, they cast him down. And then not only that, the casted down brother actually rose like a resurrection, like he was killed, like crucified, and then he was buried, like sent to prison and dungeons and stuff. And then he was resurrected, like brought to being the king of the world, you know, under Pharaoh, which, you know, um, Pharaoh is like the only difference between me and you, Yosef, is the throne. Other than that, you the man, homeboy, homeboy. So if anybody needed anything, it's like, well, you got to go to Yosef. And again, this is a beautiful picture of that Corinthians passage that talks about God gave everything to the son, but he did not subject himself to the son. So Pharaoh gave everything to Yosef, but he didn't subject himself to Yosef. And what did Pharaoh have control over? Nothing less than the world, because that's how big of a superpower Egypt was at the time, that it pretty much was like the world. They they was running things. Wasn't nobody better than Egypt. And it was just kind of like, okay. Which goes to point out that since the Jewish people came to live in Egypt and the Egyptians got afraid of the Jews, like what does that mean? How powerful are the Jews? And furthermore, for those who don't want to be Jewish, you're like, why? If you think about all the all the uh the facts, you know. Not that we need to get into that, but just something to think about. So this whole guarantor drop, laying down your life for your brother, is found in Shavuot 39a, Tractate of Talmud. It says this. And I have derived only that the mitzvot that the Jewish people accepted upon themselves at Mount Sinai were included in the oath. 
from where is it derived that the mitzvot that were initiated in the future, for example, the reading of the Megillah. So at Mount Sinai, it's basically saying that the Jewish people took an oath to fulfill the mitzvot, but yet there are mitzvot that didn't exist yet, like reading the Torah scroll of Esther or reading the scroll of Esther on Purim. Like, so if they took this oath to fulfill the mitzvot, but yet there are mitzvot that didn't exist yet, what does that mean? So they go into saying, the verse states, the Jews ordained and took upon themselves that they would keep these two days, Esther 9, 27, which is homiletically Hebrew for pun, uh, pun intended, they took upon themselves. It says, uh, this is interpreted to mean they ordained in the generation of Esther mitzvot that they had already accepted upon themselves by oath in the plains of Moab. So because they took upon themselves, they ordained and took upon themselves. And it says they ordained in the generation of Esther mitzvot that they already accepted. This is where when we received the Torah, we received all the commandments that would ever be a part of the Torah because we did it under oath. So there's that. And um, that's not the drop about the, uh, the guarantor, but stand by because I'm going to go back there and make this happen. Mm -hmm. Please enjoy this music while your party waits. Uh, Talmud, Shavuot, 39A, Baruch Hashem, and Wow, it's really quiet in here. Somebody have to say something. <laughs> okay. I know what's in here. There it is. All right. Thank you, Hashem. It says the Gemara asks, again, this is Shavuot 39a. And with regard to all of the other transgressions in the Torah, is punishment not exacted from the entire world? So literally, if there's transgression of the law of God, punishment is exacted from the entire world. So let's think about this. Because why did Mashiach, Yeshua, have to die for the sins of the world? Well, if we follow this line here, follow the bouncing ball over the words, it says that punishment, is it not exacted from the entire world when there are transgressions of Torah? So in other words, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of Hashem and the wages of sin being death, which is falling short of the glorious standard, we have to have some atonement for that and some punishment extracted. So Mashiach, Yeshua, who took upon himself the sin of the whole entire world, past, present, and future, 
there you go. That's why he did it, because that's what it is. It says, continuing on now with this, it says, but isn't it written, and they shall stumble one upon another. Vayikra, Leviticus 26.37. This verse is homiletically, pun intended, uh, interpreted to mean that they shall stumble spiritually. One due to the iniquity of another. So in other words, the reason why we stumble, the reason why we sin and fall short is because of someone else's stumbling, sinning and falling short. So everybody's falling short because everybody's falling short. So I'm falling short because you're falling short. You're falling short because I'm falling short. Okay. And says, which teaches that the entire Jewish people are considered guarantors for one another. Apparently, any transgression makes the entire world liable to be punished. So I just want to bring this down that we're liable for one another. Literally, it says the Jewish people are guarantors, but yet it's talking about the whole world. So Jewish people are guarantors for the world, which is why the Mashiach, who's Jewish, by the way, was able to atone and be his brother's keeper, which included the world, which is why we as Jews are called to be lights to the world, bring the world into uprightness with Hashem and the world falling short. We're on the hook for that. And when we fall short, the world is on the hook for that. This is probably why in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, it says that one man's teshuva can save the entire world. The only problem with that is there has been no man that has made that amount of teshuva to save the whole world. But there was someone who came in the likeness of man who made that teshuva to save the entire world. So now everything is just playing itself out. So until the final redemption all of these sparks and fragments that were scattered all across the globe, those are the divine sparks we're talking about gathering back in to bring them home underneath the wings of the Shekinah before the renewal of all things happens. So this is why we're the guarantors, not only for one another, but for the entire world, because we don't know literally where in the world all the Jews are. There are currently some Jews who are Islam. There are currently some Jews who are Buddhist. There are currently some Jews who are Christian. There are currently some Jews who are Jews. <laughs> but all of us have to be brought back into a place of rectification. And the only way to do that is through t true teshuva. So, yeah, getting everybody to... Repent, immerse for the remission of your sins and a mikvah, obviously become born again, that kind of stuff. Even if you're Jewish, all of us are on the same level because when Mashiach offered himself for the whole entire world, that included Jews. And so we have to immerse ourselves into that renewal, just like we were all immersed into the destruction and the uh, the damage of mankind from the first Adam. So why is it not any different in the second Adam? So, you know, we, we have the opportunity to either be okay with that as far as drawing near, or we can be like, you know what? No, I don't want it. 
All right, so one of the other things I want to bring down is uh, from the Maccabees. Uh, you know, it's Hanukkah, and with Hanukkah, I went out and got myself a Catholic Bible because I find it interesting that the whole account of Hanukkah is in the Catholic Bible. And yes, I'm talking specifically the Apocrypha, but as I'm reading this, there's a lot of throwdowns in here. And furthermore, I mean, it's on point. And I'm seeing that as I'm observant in Torah, studying the Torah portions, I can chew the meat off these bones or chew the meat off these bones and spit the bones out because this is like some illumination over here. Now, obviously, the story of Hanukkah is in the Talmud. And it's in the Medrash, and it's also in uh, Art Scroll's book on Hanukkah. Uh, and even in our uh, Siddur, it's in there. But, you know, I was just like, you know what, I think it'd be interesting to just read this Catholic Bible and see what's going on. And what's so amazing about this is it's showing that no matter where you are, what faith system you're part of, what religion, what Bible translation you have, if you are hungry for the truth, you will find it. Mashiach says, ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you. So if you really search him out, if you really ask for that, it'll be granted. So I'm going to read uh, First Maccabees. I want to read uh, in uh, chapter 2. And uh, starting in verse 11, it says, In those days there went... There out of Israel, wicked men who pursued many saying, let us go make a covenant with the heathen that are round about us. For since we departed from them, we have had much sorrow. So in other words, let's forsake our covenant, Israel, and go be with the heathens because they're oppressing us. That was a bookmark. All right. So. Everything will be better if we just, if we assimilate. Let's just give in, forsake the Torah. We can be Jewish in title. Let's be cultural Jews. But other than that, let's let's make a covenant with the heathens. Let's do what they do, okay? And it says, oh, smoke, drink, and go with girls who do. Basically, that's what they were like. Yeah, let's do that. That's a good motto. And it says, so this device pleased them well. Then certain people were so forward herein that they went to the king who gave them license to do after the ordinances of the heathen. Whereupon they built a place of exercise at Jerusalem according to the customs of the heathen. So they're going to bring in. Okay, so the Greeks used to uh, work out naked, by the way, which is the original Olympics, which is why when we watch the Olympics today, people are pretty much naked. <laughs> But anyway, I digress. So they set one of those exercise places up in Jerusalem. So the holy city of God, it's like, yeah, let's bring in a naked gym. And for those of us who work out today, uh, you probably notice the same thing when you go to gym. People are half naked or they might as well be naked in some cases, you know, and it's just kind of like, OK, by the way, that was happening during Greek times. OK, so 
Continuing on, as disturbing as this is, it says, and made themselves uncircumcised and forsook the Holy Covenant because it was going to be really easy to spot the Jews in a room full of naked people. So it was just like, yeah, let's make ourselves circumcised. Let's look like everybody else. Okay. No keeping those easy, you know, no circumcision. All right, let's do this. Okay. It says they forsook the Holy Covenant and joined themselves to the heathen and were sold to do mischief. So that's the thing. When you start assimilating, you're just going to give yourself to mischief. And it says now when the kingdom was established before Antiochus, he thought to reign over Egypt that he might have dominion of two realms. It's like, man, if I can get the kingdom of Greece and I can go get the kingdom of Egypt, I'm good. We already taken over where the Jews are. So this is great. All right. Because, you know, the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great took over quite a bit of territory and they had to split it into four parts. So it was literally a four kingdom thing. And Antiochus just so happened to have the part that was over Jerusalem. OK, and so it says he he went into uh, battle with Egypt and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit because I want to go here to chapter two, verse 18. It says, now, therefore, come first and fulfill the king's commandment, like as all the heathen have done. Yes. And the men of Judah also and such as remain at Jerusalem, so that you and your house shall be in the number of the king's friends. So it's like be friends with the king of Greece and don't be friends with the king of kings. Because, you know, when you assimilate, you move yourself from Hashem's kingdom into the kingdom of the world. So that's what they were saying. And it says, you and your children shall be honored with silver and gold and many rewards. Funny thing is, that's the same enticements that we're going through today. It says, verse 19, then Matid Yahu, Ben Yochanan. Neskando Hayasham. Little Hanukkah music. Anyway, great miracle happened there. Matthew or Matityahu, Mat Matthias, Matthew, the son of John, the high priest, uh, back during the second temple times, says, answered and spake with a loud voice, though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him and fall away. Everyone from their religion of their fathers and give consent to his commandments. Yet. It's a big old yet right there. Will I and my sons and my brethren walk in the covenant of our fathers? Chasve Shalom, which is Hashem forbid that we should forsake the law and the ordinances. So I just love that. Uh, and one of the most beautiful things that. Uh, Mati Yahu said to his children, because uh, Yehuda uh, was his son, uh, the son, the one called Maccabee, Yehuda Maccabee. So Mati Yahu, before he died, he said this. He says in chapter two, verse six, 67, take also unto you all those that observe the law and avenge you the wrong of your people. Recompense fully the heathen and take heed to the commandments of the law. So he blessed them and was gathered to his fathers. So uh, that was a really cool thing where he was just like, all right, 
Oh, let's go back up to 61. It says, and thus consider you throughout all the ages that none that put their trust in him shall be overcome, i.e. putting their trust in Hashem. And it says, uh, fear not the words of a sinful man, someone who sets himself up against Hashem, basically. Why should we not fear the words of a sinful man? It says, for his glory shall be dung and worms. And it says, today he shall be lifted up and tomorrow he shall not be found because he is returned into his dust and his thought is come to nothing. Wherefore you, my sons, be valiant and show yourselves men in the behalf of the law, for by it you shall obtain glory. All right. So be valiant in the Torah. That's a Hanukkah story. I wanted to drop this uh, Mishle, Proverbs, chapter 6 over here. Something I got to read on Shabbat that I thought was incredible about being friends with the Torah. It uh, is it chapter 6. Baruch Hashem. Yes, chapter 6, verse 22. No, let's start with 21. It says... So Proverbs chapter 6, 21 and 22 says in the commentary, this is from Shomer Blue, the commentary on Proverbs by Art Scroll says, tie them to your heart always, intertwine them upon your neck. The heart signifies thought while the neck signifies speech. So tie them to your thoughts and intertwine them in your speech. OK, that's from Vilna Gaon. I was doing a little deductive takeaway from what Vilnagon dropped. It says, tie them. This implies to the commandments that are foreign to human instinct. So therefore, if Shaul is talking about don't uh, Shaul, Paul, the apostle, if he's saying to the Galatians or um, Colossi, don't subject yourselves to the base principles of this world, like do not handle, do not touch. Just want to point out here, it says that the commandments, which are the commandments of the Torah, are foreign to human instinct. So those naturally make themselves not a part of the base instincts and teachings of the world. Just want to point that out there. Our laws are very base. Uh, man's laws are. But Hashem's laws are beyond creation because that's where they came from. They came from outside of creation. All right, so it says tie them applies to the that implies that the commandments are foreign to the instinct, human instinct. One must therefore bind them to his heart, i.e., subjugate the heart to them, to assure that these mitzvot are not forgotten afterward. Intertwine them around your neck and your throat, i.e., speak about them constantly, for that will help you remember. That's from the Malbim. Ralbog says. By recounting and delving into the stories of our forefathers, one will increasingly comprehend and recognize their remarkable wisdom. Verse 22, as you go forth, it will guide you. As you recline, it will protect you. And when you awake, it will converse with you. Commentary, the Torah will lead you on the correct road. Yeshua says, follow me on the way, the truth and the life, all that kind of stuff. Yep, because that's what the Torah does, put you on the correct road, because there's only one way, 
one truth, one life, one true faith, one mikvah, all that kind of stuff. It says it will protect you from robbers who attack at night. And when you awaken, it will speak with you like a good friend. Because Yeshua says, if you're followers of the commandments in John chapter 15, he says, then you are my friends. So being a friend of Torah is being a friend of Yeshua, which makes you a friend of God. You got it. Okay. You like a good friend guiding you to conduct yourself properly. That's from the Radak, which by the way, they were properly is actually the word, uh, which is set right with a shim. So you conduct yourself properly because you're set right with a shim, which is when you are friends with the Torah by walking in the ways of the Torah and its paths that it leads you in literally being led by the spirit. That's what that all boils down to. Alternatively, as you go forth, during your lifetime, which is as you go forth, and as you recline, which is when you're in the grave. So this is like, it says, as you go forth, it will guide you. Okay, so it's going to guide you in life. And when you're in the grave, it's going to protect you. And then it says, when the dead are brought back to life and must answer for their actions in life, it will speak on your behalf. See, Sota 21a, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to go before Hashem without an advocate and having Hashem as your advocate when you go up to Hashem is like, oh, did I just say that? Because that's what the Torah is. The Torah is Hashem. So because the Torah and Hashem are one, Mashiach and Hashem are one, the father and the son are one, right? Spirit of God and Hashem are one. So therefore, if the Torah is going to protect you and be speaking up on your behalf, it's like a Shem speaking to a Shem, which sounds a whole lot like the 13 attributes, which is a Shem's grace and his mercy. Because it says Hashem, Hashem, like a Shem speaking to a Shem. Anyway, 13 attributes, get you some of that. And to finish it out, it says homiletically, which is just the Hebrew for pun intended. Our verse lists the three times in a person's day when Torah learning is pivotal to protecting him from evil. The sages teach that when one concentrates on Torah study, it nullifies a tendency to improper desires, which is as you go forth, which represents your work and your business activities at such times when you're in those places, the Torah will guide you which means in doing only what is correct and necessary to earn a living and keep you from thinking that prosperity and success are all important. It then says, as you recline, this is another time, which is when one goes to sleep. Slumber, sleeping, is a state when people are given to fantasies. Preoccupation with Torah during the day will help one dream of higher aspirations as Yaakov dreamed of a ladder leading to Shemaim with a vision of Hashem at the top. When you awake is a time when the mind is not yet fully focused on Hashem and one's imagination can wander off course. Steady focus on the Torah will naturally be the first thing someone thinks of in half awake moments. That's from the Resise Lila. All right, so steady focus on the Torah will naturally be the first thing you think of. So immerse yourself in the Torah, be friends with the Torah, 
which is being led by the Spirit, being a follower of Yeshua, and all that gets you somnus. Final thing I want to say, because it is officially Zot Hanukkah now, about to go light all eight lights, but before we do, I must bring out the Tonka truck, and I do mean Rabbi Trugman. He brings down, he says, Zot Hanukkah, which literally means this is Hanukkah, is the traditional name given to the last and concluding day of the holiday. On this day, we light eight lights and thus complete the 36 candles lit during the eight days of Hanukkah. Because when you count up the candles on the first night, you light one on the second night, you light two consecutive to keep consecutively and so on all the way up to the eighth night. When you light eight lights, add all those candles together, you have lit 36 candles. Okay, now obviously the shamash is a candle that you light, but that's not included in the count of the 36. That's an actual, and that's an extra eight, which actually takes your 36 to, um, when you do 36 plus eight, you get 44, which is actually the word for blood. And yeah, 44 blood, you know, the blood of Mashiach. So you're getting sprinkled with the blood of Mashiach when you're lighting the Hanukkah, which the blood of Mashiach purifies you from your evil consciences. So yeah, there's that. Anyway, it says, it is on this day that the power and potential of Hanukkah is fully revealed. And it says, so the Hanukkah has been like this loading bar for like the get you some power boost. Okay. So it says the Torah introduces the laws of Yom Kippur. With these words, and God said to Moshe, speak to your brother Aharon that he should not come at all times into the holy within the dividing curtain. I.e. shall not come into the holy of holies at any time in front of the cover that is upon the ark so that he should not die. For I appear over the ark in a cloud. Vezot, which is with this. Shall Aharon enter the holy with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering? Commentary. Here we see that the word zot is used in the context of the Kohen Gadol high priest entering the Holy of Holies, a service that is performed only once a year on Yom Kippur. The fact that we call the last day of the holiday Zot Hanukkah alludes to a deep connection between these two days. The Kohen Gadol entering the Holy of Holies represents a person entering the deepest recesses of their soul in order to access his or her most inner divine potential. So just want to bring that out that we are symbolically entering into the Holy of Holies when we kindle the eight lights of the Hanukkah and we're going in to the deepest recesses of our soul in order to access his or her, like our, like whether you're a guy or whether you're a girl, uh, our most inner divine potential. So may it be so that with Vezot Torah or Slika, Vezot Hanukkah, which I guess is Vezot Torah, Vezot Yom Kippur, <laughs> that this uh, boosts us up and, and takes us into the month of Tikkun and uh, that we can bring in the final redemption speedily in our days. So superheroes, be super, be amazing, light it up, game face on, 
receive the Kedusha that Hashem is bringing down, receive the power of the Ruach HaKodesh and the living Torah, and may it cause a flood of redemption in the world, lighting up the entire world and flooding the world with the wellsprings of salvation. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet, Vechaye Olam Natah Betocheinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten HaTorah, Amen.